Welcome to the Antioch Austin podcast. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you. For more information about Antioch Austin, please check our website at AntiochATX.com. Now here's Pastor J.D. Griffin. It's J.D. and I'm the pastor here at Antioch. And again, let me be the 12th person, hopefully, that tells you welcome, welcome home. Uh, We're so glad that you're here. Um, We have been in a fun series of talks. Have you enjoyed Steps? Have you liked it? Um, Well, before we go any further, I just want to kind of call. I'm I'm a big fan of everybody praying and leaning in to the same thing. So can I throw a faith prayer declaration out at you that we can agree together on? Are you with me on this? Can we all just commit to pray daily that this would be the year that the Longhorns actually win a national championship. Can we can we just lean in together and just say like we're going to make it happen. So much hate and animosity in the place, okay? Hook them, all right? Home team, home team. All right. Um, well, on a more serious note, for those of you who have missed uh, this series of talks, we've been leaning in to what we're kind of just defining as a path that's going to take us to who God has called us to be. And, and these steps are things that we don't just do one time, but want to lean into all of the time. And they come on the back end of us understanding ultimately who we are. And, and what you'll hear if you hang out here long enough is that we have a list of declaration statements, some faith declarations that kind of line out for us and draw a map for us, if you will, of who we are. And we call those who we are statements our manifesto. And we started every week uh, through this series of talks the same way. We're going to do this one the exact same way. So can we throw the manifesto up there so we can all see it? Can we just put them all up there? It makes me nervous to do them one at a time. I feel like I'm going to screw up. All right. So here we go. Can we read it together? Now, remember, last week we struggled a little bit with the read it together. And so this is kind of like the shot across the bowels like we're going to read this together. So we're going to do what? We're going to read it together. Okay, ready? So here we go. Jesus is our message. Hope is our belief. Honor is our language. Celebration is our soundtrack. Serving is our privilege. Generosity is our standard. And transformation is our byproduct. These are the who we are statements. These are the things that we believe for and build towards as we are becoming the church that God has called us to be. If you're new to Antioch, if you're checking out church this morning, you're like, what are these guys all about? This is it. This is our faith declarations of this is who we are. And the series of talks that we're in this morning is week three of what we've called steps, which is if this is who we are, steps are how we get there. And the steps are, let's throw them up, although I'm sure you all have them and pray for them daily. Again, I'm already sweating. So we pull them all up there. Thank you. Okay, here we go. So step one is encounter. Step two is belong. Step three is matter. Step four is grow. And step five is build. And so we've been walking our way through these and we started off by talking about encounter and we said that encountering is not a one-time event but a rhythm of daily pursuit. 
that we want to be a people, our first step, our beginning of everything, the foundation is being a people that have a rhythm of encountering Jesus, that our pursuit of Jesus is not random, but our pursuit of Jesus has a rhythm and that consistency of daily encountering Jesus will shape our daily lives, right? And we kind of had that fun little phrase, help me with it, those who show up grow up, right? So those who show up, grow up. And last week we looked at belong and how there's this old African proverb that really kind of defined this statement of belonging for us. And that is, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. That we need each other. We're, we're, made to, we're made to walk and to live life in community, in relationship. And although that can be a challenging goal and it's something that does not come easy, it is a fight that is worthy. That if we want to finish the race well that God has set out for us, we have to link arms with the people that are around us. We have to belong to the community that we are in. And this week we want to look at step three, which is matter. And very truthfully, step two and step three work together in a very unique way. All of the steps build on one another. And like I've already said, it's not that we do the steps one time, but we live a rhythm of leaning into these steps all of the time. But step two and step three are unique because belonging and mattering really work together. You know, if you feel like you belong to something, oftentimes it's because you understand that you matter to that something that you belong to. And it's actually very, very true. And I've experienced this when I start feeling like I don't matter to the thing that I felt like I belonged to very soon. I start feeling like I don't belong. Belonging and mattering really work together in a really significant and powerful way. And I believe that the message that God has spoken to me this morning to communicate to us is massively important because unlike any other time in culture, I would say that there's this resounding shout from society saying, I want to matter. Have you felt this? I mean, it's like you don't just want to buy groceries, right? You want to buy groceries that have like a social cause. For every apple that you purchase, we give an apple away. You're like, cool, I'm going to pay an extra 25 cents because this purchase of this apple matters, right? We, we buy shoes fueled on a social cause. We'll pay more money for things because of what they're connected to because we want everything that we do to matter, we're going to choose careers not based on salary and benefits. We're going to choose careers based on the platform of what that company does because we want our lives to what matter. Like we're hardwired to matter. And here's what's interesting this is something that I think has always been relevant in society, but it's kind of taken on new forms and new depths, so much so 
that there's studies now from sociologists that are looking at this question of what is this emerging shouting that's happening in society of this question of do I matter? Like, where did that come from? Is, is that something that's cultural or is it more biological, right? Is it something our culture is giving to us or is it something that's coming from within us? And what they found time and time again that this need to matter is actually hardwired in us. It's biological more than cultural. Now, that makes a total, a lot of sense to me because I actually believe the Bible is the word of God and it's true. And that truth declares that we were all made on purpose for a purpose. That you were handcrafted by the living God and he wrote every day in your, of your life in a book that had a divine purpose laced within it. And so when you see this collision of science and biblical truth, you're like, of course, of course there's a question in our society that is shouting, do I matter? Because we have been created hardwired to matter. We were made on purpose for a purpose. And before we go any further, I just want to pray and ask Jesus to come and just speak to us this morning. Can, we, can you disagree with me? God, thank you that you're here. Thank you that you're with us. And we're, we're asking that you would lead us through these steps. God, that your name and your fame, that's the desire of our heart. That's what we want, God. We want you to be so famous, God, in our lives, in this city and around the world. So, Lord, would you come and allow the word of God to come alive in us in a transformative, trans, transformational way. In Jesus' name, everybody said Amen. You know, a few years ago, Liz and I, who's my wife, who's sitting up here, beautiful supermodel, um, we found ourselves living back in Waco, Texas. Now, for those of you guys who don't know our story, um, both of us went to Baylor. Don't hold it against us, okay? We didn't know any better at the time. And so we went to Baylor. But after we graduated, we uh, very... Uh, ambitiously left Waco, Texas to go plant a church in Seattle, Washington, because that's what you should do when you're 23 and you've never worked at a church before. Let's go start one in, in a place where people are like, we need more churches, like Seattle, right? So we ended up living on the West Coast for about seven years in Seattle, and we were a part of seeing that church just uh, be planted, and God did an amazing thing in us and really <laughs> in spite of us, and that church is doing so incredible, and they actually purchased a building, and they're meeting in that building now in downtown Seattle. That's a humongous deal, man. It's such a, such a big deal, and God's just blessing the work of their hands. It's really amazing, um, and we lived in Seattle, and then we moved from Seattle when we felt like God was transitioning out Transitioning, transitioning us out of living there and working there and serving that church to move to San Diego, California. So we were living on the West Coast and honestly felt really good about the fact that we lived on the West Coast. Like we loved it and we did not see ourselves coming back to Central Texas at all. And then God spoke to us. You know, so those moments where God speaks to you and you're like, this is so left field. This has to be God, right? That's what it feels like when you're surfing and God speaks to you to go to Waco, Texas, okay? Like when you're in the oceans and dolphins are around you and you're in crystal blue water and it's like beautiful and 70 degrees every day and God shouts at you and says, move to Waco, Texas. You're like, that has to be God because my flesh would not yearn. 
So we found ourselves back in Waco. But the interesting thing about that season is it became one of the most fun, refreshing seasons that we have had in many years because there was like this weird homecoming of so many of our friends that we went to college with. Like we all, for different reasons, ended up finding our way back to Waco, Texas, kind of all about the same time. And so it was like our college friends, but we're all like fatter and have four kids. And, and but we would just pretend like we were in college, you know, and we just have so much fun. And so relationally, we're just like having a blast. And one of our friends that moved back around the same time was Blake and Marcy Hartsock. Now, Blake and Marcy now actually are about three or four weeks in to leading out at Antioch's work that's happening in London. It's like really, really cool what's going on there. And they're kind of overseeing all of our European works and believing God for a really uh, powerful church to be planted in London. And Blake and I, though, have a common love. And that common love is that we feel like we were born to be nautical. <laughs> we love boats. Love them. And we would dream of, of owning boats. And we would sit and we would talk about the boats that we would have and the memories we would make with our kids. And we would justify the purchase of boats with, like, think about it, man. Like, how much happier will our children be if we had... Boats. Well, Blake calls me one day. He's like, yo, what are you doing right now? And I'm like, man, I'm just chilling. He says, be in my house in 30 minutes. Bring your kids. I bought a boat. <laughs> now, that's amazing news because there's nothing better than your friend having a boat, actually. <laughs> all the fun, all the awesomeness, but none of the headache. And just side note, you would think in all the advancements happening in modern engineering and technology that we'd be able to build a boat that would work. Like, why do boats break all the time, man? Like, why does it have to be such a, the happiest day is when you bought the boat and the second happiest day is when you sell the boat, right? I mean, like, why does it have to be like that? But Blake was on the happiest day when he bought the boat. So he calls me because he knows we're the same kindred spirits. We're both nautical. We're sailors. And so we go and I take my kids over and I look at this boat and I'm like, bro, this is like the dream. It's like a black Malibu wakeboarding boat with the cool speakers and the lights. You guys know what I'm talking about? Those boats you see driving and you covet, even if you're not a person who's nautical, you're like, that's cool. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me, Blake, dude. I'm not even gonna ask you how you did this, bro. I'm just gonna be thankful that you did. And so we load all the kids up and we go to the river and we drop the boat into the river and we're cruising around. This is like day one for him to actually drive the boat. So he's getting to know it. And he looks at me and he's like, Griff, you want a wakeboard? You need to know something about me. I love to do a lot of things that I'm not good at. <laughs> and wakeboarding would be one of those things. And so I jump in the water with full confidence, like, man, I love wakeboarding. Absolutely, Blake. And so we cruise, right? And so I can't do much. But in my mind, I look like the guys that are on the magazines. You know, they're like 20 feet in the air with long, flowing hair, you know, and their board. That was funnier than what y'all gave me on that, the long hair. And the board's all behind them, you know, and they're looking all fresh. And their, their life jacket looks like it also doubles as like a military bulletproof harness, you know. And like, so in my mind, that's what I look like. I'm like, I look like this. And so I'm behind the boat. Now we, you know, we're on the river. And so there's people, you're passing people all the time, right? And as soon as I would see people coming, you know, like I'd hit that pose, you know what I'm saying? Like switch hands. You know, is this like in this, like I'm setting up to do something, you know, like you're in the constant setup position. 
So we kind of come around this turn, and I know that ahead there's a dock where there's always tons of people. And so I'm like, man, now you got to understand that these boats are made to create the biggest boat wakes that you've ever seen. Now, if you're not familiar with boating, you got to understand that the boat wake is the thing that happens behind the boat as the boat is cutting through the water. It creates this V shape, and these boats are designed so that that is like the maximum shape and size so that you can launch yourself super high. And so I'm just looking at this wake, and it's just teasing me, like, come on. Give it a shot, big boy. You know what I mean? And so I'm like, oh, I'm about to do this. And I'm going to do it right in front of the dock because I'm going to nail it. And all these people are going to cheer. So we come around this turn. Right. And so I set up and I'm looking hardcore and I turn the board parallel and I shoot across the wake. And I'm I mean, I am like so high. I begin to do the involuntary propeller. Do you guys know that move where you just start flinging things in the, right? And so I hit the deck, just bam, face plant, not cool, flipping, spinning. Nobody claps. People are like, you okay? You know, it's like more of that. And so I'm kind of shaking my head like, wow, that was painful, you know? And then you try to kind of play it off like there's a one-time event, you know? You're like, whoa, man, didn't see that coming, right? And I kind of shake my head and get the water out of my eyes. And I look up just in time to see that that giant boat wake that had been created by my buddy's boat had turned into a wave that was making its way towards the boat dock. Now, at the boat dock was a little bitty boat that probably is more of a canoe that had a small motor on the back of it, and there was a very overweight man standing in this little bitty boat. And I see this big giant wave rolling for this fat dude in a little boat. And before I could even shout, watch out! I felt like I was watching Seinfeld. You ever had a moment where you're like, this has to be on camera? Like, this is too crazy? And so he's hanging on to the dock, and then the, wa the boat, the wave hits, right? And he's like, whoa, 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 boom, like a bullet out of a gun, shoots out of the boat, fully clothed, into the water. His buddy runs down the dock, tries to grab the boat, misses the boat. It starts drifting into the middle of the river. This dude's acting like he can't swim. He finally gets a hold of himself, sees the boat drifting away, swims, gets the boat, pull, starts pulling it back. He finally gets it back to the boat dock. He's holding his buddy's hand and holding the boat. And you can hear them talking about how their cell phones are ruined and all this stuff. I'm dying laughing. I can't, I can't even look at them. Like, I got to have my back towards them in the water. Like, I can't believe that happened because I know that Blake has to come back and pick me up and he's going to have to drive right by these guys and he does and they're looking at him with like that death stare like dude come on man like what is going on here and so Blake goes sorry new boat <laughs> pulls me into the boat and we get out of there I learned a couple of lessons that day first don't pretend to be a good wakeboarder when you're not. Second, never underestimate the size of your boat wake. Don't underestimate the size 
of your boat wake. There might be some things that God is doing behind you that is bigger than what it feels like when you're just in the moment. Don't underestimate the size of your boat wake. You know, I think that there's some amazing principles to pull from throughout the Bible where God surprised some people with the size of their boat wake. There's some, some moments where, where God would intervene, interject himself into ordinary, normal people's lives. And those moments had boat wake implications that led to the world being changed. Now, I'm just wondering, y'all are sitting very quietly this morning, but that's okay. I'm just wondering if there's anybody that's excited that God is in the business of releasing things on the backside of your obedience that's bigger than what you see sometimes when you say yes. Amen. You never want to underestimate the size of your Boat wake. If you have a Bible, I want you to make your way to Acts chapter 9. This is one of those moments where God intervenes himself into the story of one man that had a boat wake of world transformation behind it. This story in Acts 9 is known as, and you probably see the title over the top of the chapter, as the Damascus Road, or Damascus Road, excuse me, or Saul's Conversion. And the significance in history of this moment really cannot be understated. And before we kind of start unpacking that, I want us to begin to read it. And it says this in verse 1, Meanwhile, Saul, who was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Now, we're going to get into this, but I want you to understand, if you're new to the Bible, this Saul would have a name change and he would become Paul. So this is when Saul meets Jesus and be, begins the journey to becoming Paul, maybe one of the best, if not the best theologians and church planners that have ever walked the face of the earth. This is God interjecting into Saul's story. And it says, meanwhile, Saul is breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any who belonged to the way. Now the way here is what the Christians were referred to at this point in the book of Acts. They were referred to as those who followed the way. They would then be called Christians, which means little Christ, but that's a whole nother sermon. I'm not going to get into that, but just that's a cool little fact. If you didn't know, tuck that away. Tell your friends. And Paul is on his way to Damascus, and he says, if I find any of there who belong to the way, if it's a man or if it's a woman, he asked if he could take them prisoner and bring them to Jerusalem. Saul's whole mission at this point in his life was not just to stop the momentum of the early church, the early believers the way. It was to destroy it. This was his aim. This was his mission. He was on a seek and destroy mission for anyone and everyone, man, woman, and child that confessed that Jesus was the way. Saul wanted to see them taken out. 
removed from the equation. This was his place at this moment. He was breathing out not just threats, murderous threats. He didn't care if it meant that their life ended. He, he was focused on seeing the momentum of the way destroyed. And it says this in verse three, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked, I am Jesus. Can you imagine? I, I am Jesus. I'm the one you're persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Now this encounter changed not just this moment for Saul, but everything for him. Because when he got up, his eyes were actually blinded. He couldn't see. Now, that's a prophetic picture of the state of his heart before he encountered Jesus. He was blinded. He couldn't see. And now he finds himself living in this reality of the reality of his soul. He's blind. And Jesus speaks to him and says, go into the city. Go into Damascus. Find your way to Damascus. And the people that were with him, it says that they heard voices but saw nothing. Can you imagine how freaked out they were? And so they make their way to Damascus in this moment. This is the, the encounter where Saul, the man who would become known as Paul, who would write most of the New Testament and plant churches all over the world and be used as a vessel to see the gospel reach further and wider than anyone could have even asked, hoped, or imagined at this point is blind, sitting in a man's house in Damascus, before Saul could be transformed into Paul, he had to encounter a man named Ananias. Ananias. We don't know anything about Ananias, actually. This is what it says. It just says, go straight to the house on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. This is God speaking to this random dude named Ananias. And in a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him so you can restore his sight. What's crazy about this is we don't have any clarity on who Ananias was. All we know is that the Bible says that he was a disciple. It doesn't say that he was a leader. It doesn't say that he was a pastor. This dude was just a church goer. He was just walking through the steps, encountering Jesus, belonging to the community he was involved in. He was just kind of going about his day. And God speaks to Ananias and says, I want you to go and find this man. He's at this house in your city. I want you to lay your hands on him. I want you to pray for him because I have chosen him to be a mouthpiece of my story for my glory on the earth. And Ananias, this guy who's just a churchgoer, goes, hold up. I've heard about this dude. This guy hunts people like me. Last time I heard about this Saul from Tarsus guy, I'm supposed to hide from him when I hear he's in town. And you want me to go find him? Never underestimate what's in front of you. Think about it. Pull yourself out of knowing the whole story. Just lean into Ananias' story. 
Ananias, minding his business, just a disciple of Jesus, gets interrupted and God gives him something, places something in front of him and says, this is what I want you to do. It would have felt random. It would have felt stretching. It might have even felt insignificant. Like, you want me to go pray for this guy? What? Like, why do I have to go pray for this dude? Why? And I, can, I, can I just kind of jump out of the story for a minute and lean into something? I think this is why often we're searching to matter, because we're waiting for moments that seem significant to matter in. And so we're, we're, we're like constantly waiting for like the perfect scenario so that we can interject ourselves into the story and be important into that story. And Ananias is demonstrating something very interesting to us that maybe we shouldn't care about the significance of the moment. Maybe we should just be concerned with what God's given us in front of us. Because you never, you never know what God's going to do behind you when there's a yes in you. Ananias had no idea that Saul was going to turn into Paul. He had no idea. Can we all agree that Ananias mattered? Ananias mattered. We never hear about the guy ever again. There are other people in the Bible named Ananias, but it's a different guy. Here he is, just a faithful churchgoer, god plugged him into the biggest story in history. And when he got that clarity, it would have felt weird, random, insignificant, stretching, inconvenient maybe. I got to do what? I got to stop what I'm doing and go to Straight Street? Man, you know that's the hood. Man, I don't go to Straight Street. I got to go find this guy. I got to go pray for him. Like, how come they can't pray for him? The dude has had his house. You pray for him. This is what we do. This is what we all do. We think, man, let somebody else do it. Let somebody else do it. I'm waiting for my big moment. This stuff, I don't get this random stuff, this stuff that seems little and insignificant. Oh, man, let somebody else do that. I'm waiting for my big moment to matter. Hear me, church. Every moment matters. Every moment matters. Everything. This moment that Ananias is involved in here changed history. Without Ananias' obedience to go and pray for this man named Saul, who knows what the story would be. Ananias mattered to the heart of God because he was made on purpose for a purpose. And the yes in him led him to be in the middle of a boat wake that was way larger than him. Don't try to judge the size of the significance of what God's placed in front of your hands. Just have a yes in you. Because you are hardwired to matter. Stop looking for an opportunity to matter. Just matter because mattering matters. Am I talking to anybody? Ananias. Mattered. I wonder as, as the story of Paul began to unfold, he would get wind of what was happening and just scratched his head going, Man, I can't believe I prayed for that dude. <laughs> Do you think for one moment when he would see the story that God was telling through Paul that he said, man, I wish I just would have stayed home. I was tired that day. 
Man, I wish I would have just kind of chilled out. It seems so inc- No, he didn't even come close to saying that. Guarantee you that joker would try to set up conversations to be like, yeah, the, yeah, man, you heard that story? That's me. Because everybody's excited about mattering when what they did turns out to matter. Everybody's, everybody's pumped up when they're, when they're a part of something that God breathes on, and then you're like, yeah, I was there. But oftentimes, we're waiting for those moments to happen, and then they begin to happen around us, and we don't belong to them because belonging and mattering are connected. And so then we end up just observing what's happening versus being in the story of what God's saying is happening. And I just want to say, we will never be fulfilled nor become all that we're created to be if we're not hardwired to matter. You'll never become the fullest expression of who God's made you to be, keeping it to yourself. He made you on purpose for a purpose. Paul would go to write second or yes, second Timothy verse or chapter two, starting in verse 19. And this is what he would say. He would say, the Lord knows those who are his. Man, I'm not going to preach about that, but that's a good verse. The Lord knows those who are his and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from their wickedness. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some are for common uses. Now, I encountered this when I married Liz because I grew up in a house of more clay and wood and common use, right? Like we use paper plates. Liz's family like eats off China, the special stuff, right? I'll never forget the first time I went over their house for chicken fingers that they bought. And, and her mom poured the gravy into a gravy boat. <laughs> I'm like, what is that? That's a great, I'm like, it's already in a styrofoam. Just stick it in there. It's the difference in the things in the house that are for special purpose in those of us that are used to the common use things. Verse 21, those who cleanse themselves, this is a huge verse. I want you to really pay attention here. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter. What what this is talking about here, what Paul is saying here, when you cleanse yourself, when you experience forgiveness of your sin and then turn from it. This is all of us. When we cleanse ourselves and, and, and turn from the latter, we will be instruments for special purposes will be used for special purposes, made holy, and listen to this, and useful to the master master, and prepared to do some, prepared to do a little, prepared to do any good work. Most biblical scholars would agree that, that this large house that Paul is talking about is the church. And and what this scripture is saying is that in the church, there are some of us that have pasts and and stories and things in us that make us feel like we're maybe more of the common use stuff than the special stuff. And some of us have great stories. And you're like, wow, I'm from this. But Paul is making it very clear that all of us, every single one of us, when we turn from our wickedness, that God makes all of us useful and we're prepared for any good Work. It doesn't matter the story that you had. The story that God's telling is that you 
matter. Don't underestimate the power of the boat wake that is behind you when there's a yes in you. Can I get an amen? There's this amazing picture of the church that Paul also writes in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 14. It says, even so the body is made up of one part, but many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not be for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason reason stop being part of a body if the whole body were an eye where would the sense of hearing be if the whole body were an ear where would the sense of smell be but in fact God has placed the parts of the body in every one of them just as he wanted them to be if they were all one part where would the body be as it is there are many parts but one body and I love this part can the eye say to the hand I don't need you and the hands say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And, and I, I just want to say that this is how God has created us to belong and to matter, is that he's handcrafted each of us on purpose for a specific purpose. And all of us doing what is in front of us will lead us into becoming all that God has created us to be. And there's nothing too small or too large, no thing that seems too insignificant or too small that doesn't matter in a big way. Because it's not just big things that matter, it's everything that matters, amen? And so I want to end with showing you guys a very compelling picture. Can you throw up that picture for me? This is what's known as phytoplankton. How many of you have ever heard of that? Wow, a lot of biologists in the house. So if I screw this up, Send Liz an email, all right? <laughs> Phytoplankton. This is a single cell plant. This is a marine algae. Now, look at this. Don't you just get the vibe that that matters? No, it kind of looks like that candy that was in your grandma's house that nobody wanted to eat. Y'all know what I'm talking about? It was in the candy jar and would all melt together and it became like this one giant weird piece of candy that tasted bad like nothing about this picture goes like wow so significant so important do you know that that little single cell organism is responsible for 70% of our breathing air 70% not only that it's existence as critical as the critical start to a food chain that builds its way all the way up to some of the largest sea mammals that exist. Phytoplankton, we can't even see it. It might be one of the most important things that happen in our ecosystem. It goes away. The boat wake of what it has created goes away. There's nothing that's too small. There's nothing that seems insignificant. There's nothing that's too random, too just, oh, that doesn't matter, that doesn't have a big boat wake of impact. When the living God touches even something as small as a phytoplankton, hashtag phytoplankton. Holla at your, you know, all the biologists in the house are like, yeah. Phytoplankton, man. 
phytoplankton changes everything. Man, you know, most of life feels like that. It, it's the moments that feel like phytoplankton. Nobody sees this. This is so small. This doesn't matter. This is insignificant. But when we stop doing those things, the ecosystem of the church and the culture that God wants to build begins to crumble. Just like if the phytoplankton disappear, the ecosystem of the ocean begins to crumble. There's nothing that's too small. There's nothing that's too insignificant that doesn't have a massive boat wake of impact. Don't underestimate the boat wake that's coming behind you when there's a yes in you. Don't, don't, don't misjudge like, oh man, I'm not good at that. And so it must, it doesn't matter what I bring because I, I can't do that. No, 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 no. Everything matters. You know what's so amazing? You go hang out in our kids' stuff, that stuff matters. You know our kids' workers matter. They're, they're not in here right now because they're serving all of our kids. They matter. You don't see them. When they're in there, it doesn't feel, it's like a phytoplankton moment. It doesn't feel significant. It feels like chaos. It's like herding cats. You're changing diapers. You're trying to keep kids from cussing. You're just like trying to survive. Phytoplankton, man. Phytoplankton feels insignificant. You take that out of the equation, the ecosystem of who we're created to be begins to crumble. There's nothing that's too small. Where's my parking lot team at? Holla at your boy. Look, there's nothing more important than a parking lot team with a smile. When they're out there, 4,000 degrees, 190% humidity, dying, still smiling, phytoplankton, man. Seems insignificant. This doesn't matter. This is super small. That goes away. The ecosystem of what we're trying to build goes away. There's nothing that's too small. Nothing that's too insignificant. We want this to be a place where you matter because mattering matters. Because matters, mattering is connected to belonging. It, 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 and you're, you're never going to feel like you belong if you're not in a place of mattering. And, and that's why we're going to end today a little bit different than we normally do. In a minute, I'm going to have everybody stand, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to believe that God's going to show up in a powerful way. But on the back end of that, we're actually not going to do kind of like our normal traditional response time, because right out in the lobby, as you've been hearing all over the place, we've got this thing called Get Connected that's happening, which is one of the coolest, most fun church rhythms that we have. It is that big on-ramp where we're saying we want you to belong to a community, a small group, a life group, a serve team, and we want you to belong there because you are created to matter, so why not matter here? Some of the things might feel like phytoplankton, but they're not phytoplankton. They're mission critical. Mission critical, man. If we're going to become all that God's called us to be, we all just have to have a yes in our hearts and open hands and say, man, I'm in. It might feel like a phytoplankton moment, but the boat wake of the impact is going to be beyond our wildest dreams. Never underestimate the boat wake behind you when there's a yes in you. Amen? Stand to your feet.